The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about consumer privacy and consumer trust. And we have a wonderful expert with us coming uh, coming to us today from Northern California. Let me tell you a little bit about our fabulous guest. We have Ilana Westerman, who is CEO of Create with Context, Inc., which is a leading digital strategy consulting firm. And she is responsible for corporate development as well as guidance of client work, including research, innovation, and design. And what's, how I found her was I, she uh, had a couple articles that I read on the IAPP website, which is the International Association of Privacy Professionals, and we've had several CIPPs on, and I thought, this is really fascinating. Ilana began working on digital innovation way back in the mid-90s, including her award-winning work on the IBM Nagano Olympics web presence. And then she was one of the early members of Yahoo. She helped with lots of different things with Yahoo and with their mobile and all sorts of uh, influence in their um, increasing pages and views and ad revenue for all of the things that they're doing. And more recently, Ilana has shared her passion for research-driven design as an adjunct faculty member at San Jose State University, where she's uh, teaching graduate-level courses in the industrial systems engineering HFES program. So she is really very uh, expert and she is a technology and a privacy and security expert. And we are just thrilled to have her join us. Thank you, Ilana, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, in your article, you talk about the difference between trust, consumer trust and consumer privacy. And I thought that was fascinating. So why should we be talking about trust and not privacy? Well, I think it's because privacy really is something that's negative. It's it's something that you're doing to protect yourself. It's something that you're trying to prevent something from hurting you or something you want to hide like a secret. But when you think about trust, it's really a positive. It's like freedom. So you don't have to really worry about what you're doing or what you're saying, and you really let your guard down. So when you talk about businesses wanting to interact with their customers, they really should be trying to interact from a place of trust and not privacy. And we find that, you know, really smart companies know how important trust is because what it does is it creates loyalty with their customers. Um, it'll drive things like word-of-mouth marketing and recommendations from your customers to get new customers. And 
it really builds a brand and makes your product or service not so much a commodity, but something that people really trust and, 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 and will update and upgrade and continue with. So at the end of the day, business is really thinking about trust instead of privacy. They're really going to be the ones that are going to translate this into more dollars for their business. Yeah, you know, you're probably familiar with Larry Poneman, and, and he's done all sorts of studies on consumer trust. And, you know, I'm one of his fellows, and I know he every year he comes out with the most trusted companies. And I, I know American Express is always up there. And I love American Express, and I trust them that if there's any fraud, for example, I know that I'm never going to have to worry about if there's any kind of fraud, they're going to immediately take it off. They're going to send me a new credit card. And I know also when I feel that a, a, a social media place like, you know, like Facebook or something, when they change their privacy policies, then I lose trust. And so I think that is a huge issue that privacy and trust are so interrelated that you don't, once you don't trust someone anymore, a company anymore, you really don't want to do business with them, right? Well, and, and we'll see sometimes behavior doesn't always follow that and that people may distrust you but continue to use you because you are predominant in the marketplace. But because trust is such a powerful emotion, even if someone's behavior doesn't change, their loyalty has changed. And, and it's right for another company to come in and take your customer base over. Um, people will quickly jump to another product and service you know, that if they don't trust you, if it's equal or better. I think that's really right, because if, if, you, if there's only one game in town, you're going to use that game, but because you're not happy, as soon as something that looks better comes over, you're going to jump there. So I think that is really very true. What, what creates trust? Well, really for consumers, while they won't say this directly to you, but what it boils down to is, is three factors. Um, the first is transparency, and, and that really to consumers means that they know what's happening or more likely that their expectations are not violated. So it's not that they're going out doing tons of research and trying to figure out how things work, but they have an expectation for how certain things are working. And as long as you're mapping to those expectations, that they understand that you have transparency. The second important factor is control, and that is if people can change things if they want. They have options. Now, that's not to say that they always want to control things, but just that ability to control either opt-in or opt-out or to personalize is really important. But the third factor that's really the most important, too, is the value, that people feel like they're getting something out of this exchange. So I'm giving you something, and I'm getting something back. And ideally, what I'm giving you makes sense for what I'm giving back. So, for example, I'm going to give you my location maps program because I really want you to figure out how to help me get to where I need to go. Right. So it, it makes sense to me to give you that information, and I'm getting something positive back for giving it. And then there's a true value. There's a value for both the customer and the business. And I think they, they all kind of interrelate, don't they? So, so if you think you're getting a value and you, you uh, let them see where you, know, where you are and how to get you back home and get you back home safely, that's a great value. But the transparency is... The, the issue is like, okay, who else is going to see this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and I think knowing that, you know, maybe I can trust you that you're not going to just make this available to everybody and anybody to see it. Isn't that true that they kind of all kind of interrelate, those three? Well, they do, and it also gets to that expectations, which is important about transparency, which is when people don't expect that you're sharing the information or keeping the information or, or – 
adding the information to other information, and then they, they find out later, that really can, can break that trust. So understanding what your consumers expect is really important. And then if you, if you are collecting something that, that they don't expect, creating transparency and awareness around that so that you're kind of, in a sense, educating them so they, they do understand that. Yeah, in your article, I noticed you talked about false transparency or false privacy expectations. Let's talk about a couple of those. So really, as designers, what we're looking to do when we design is communicate at a high level. And so the things that we really kind of map our designs to to say, are we successful, is the first thing, have we created awareness? And that is that we were just talking about expectations mapping to reality. Right. But the second thing is discoverability. So within a program, can people find what they're looking for? If, if they're, can they find that button? Can they find that function? Uh, then we really look at comprehension. So just because people can find things, uh, do they understand it? Um, and was it easy to understand? Uh, then we look at kind of hardcore what we call usability, and that's can you interact. So is that button too small? Can you not press it? Uh, can you actually make it work, the interaction? Yeah. So when you do some of this research to find this stuff out, do you use a, a, a great number of people, or how, how do you actually do this? I think it's fascinating. How do you do that research? We have a number of different methods that we use, both qualitative and quantitative. Um, I don't have the exact numbers on me, but it's, I think, over 6,000 people to date uh, that have participated. Either we've observed them in their environment, we've interviewed them, uh, they've taken surveys, uh, they've tried out products. Uh, so there's a variety of different methodologies that we use depending on the specific research question and goal. Right. And, you know, when I go to a website and I can't figure it out, I just leave the website and look for something else. So it's so important with the work that you do to make sure that it's user friendly, that people understand what they're doing, feel, people feel comfortable. And then we get back to that word, consumer trust. I don't trust a website if I can't find things on it, if I can't find um, what they're going to do with my with my information, if I can't find what what I have to do. Right. Right. There's a lot of things that people need to have trust. And so they have to trust, first of all, that it's going to work. So when I send an email, I, I trust that the email leaves my inbox and goes to yours. I trust that the service functions. I also trust that they're not trying to hide things from me, especially around privacy. So if I do go looking for something, am I able to find it and do I understand it? Um, you know, I trust that if I paid money for a service, I'm going to get the value out of it. So there's many different factors, not just privacy. Um, that feed into trust. But increasingly, privacy is becoming much more important because people are becoming more aware um, that there is data out there about them. Yeah. You know, when we talk about privacy, and we've done this in many different ways, but when we talk about privacy on this show and we're talking about information privacy, we're talking about the ability to control your information, where it's get going, who's collecting it, how it's being secured. And that gets back to the number two thing that you had talked about, which is control. It's You're right. We don't want to control things all the time, but we want to be able to control who sees things. For example, if I go on Facebook and I want to be able to control that if I'm you know, sharing with my friends that it isn't going to be seen by the whole world. I personally never put up anything that I don't think can be seen by the whole world. But at least people have to have some measure of trust that if they do set their privacy settings, that those will be valued and those will be honored. That doesn't always happen, but that's that's what you're talking about with trust, right? 
Right, and a lot of what's happening um, is that people don't expect that certain data is being collected, so they don't even go look to control. So without the transparency factor, you would never think to control it. So one of the um, one of the studies we're currently doing is looking at uh, in-store collection of location data via Wi-Fi on cellular devices. And I think it's about 33% of people think that that might be happening. So the majority of people don't even expect that this is happening. So they're never going to go look to control it. So our first job is to always communicate and make sure that people understand what's happening so that if they do care and want to go control it, there's a place. But sometimes they don't care. They see it as a benefit, and they don't really want to go control it. And and it's not always that they want to go change a setting because that can be work. So it's giving them that option, you know, if they care that they have that ability to do it. Yes, and I think that's so important if you know something. For example, we, we learned, you know, in recent months about the NSA spying. You know, we we trusted that all of our information would not be gathered by the government. And we, now that we know that, you know, that's been very disconcerting for quite a few people. So that's that whole understanding of transparency. When people understand how it's going to be used, why it's going to be used? Is it going to be used for terrorism only? Is it going to be through the FISA courts? I mean, when we're talking about transparency, it's not just with commercial companies. We're talking about transparency with the government. And I think people have a reasonable expectation of privacy that they don't think that everything's going to be collected. And so that's part of that false privacy expectation. So what are some of, of the consumers, when consumers... Um, what are consumers aware of and what are really their misconceptions? And, yeah, just um, one thing to, to let you know is we really look at that relationship between businesses and consumers, and none of our research has really been focused on government to consumers, so we don't have any data on that in particular. Right. We have seen some changes in overall uh, views towards data, I think, because of some of the things that are happening, but our work is really focused on businesses. So wait a minute, so what kind of changes have you seen, really, Alana, that has maybe affected the psychological aspect? Well, I think there's more of a sense that things could be happening, but still a, a sense that things aren't happening. So mm. what's actually being collected? But I think the key thing is is that what people really do is when they look at a product or service, they assume that information is being collected that's needed. So again, back to that maps example, they assume that your location is being collected. But there really isn't this expectation that things are being collected that aren't needed. Why would maps need an address book, for example? There seems to be no, no need for you to know my friends. Oh, right, right. <laughs> unless you say, maybe you're going to help me get to my friends faster. So people sit and they look for rationale for data collection. Um, so, so that's the first thing. And then the other thing that really people still are not aware of is kind of underlying ad networks, so the sharing of data across sites and services, as well as in-store in kind of the underlying Wi-Fi networks that, that are maybe sharing between different locations. So this concept of, of businesses sharing the information with others, there's, there's a much lower awareness of. Right. So how do you, you know, do you advise companies on how to do this um, transparency in a way that, that is um, acceptable to the consumer? We do, and, and, and it's a definitely a difficult design problem, so it's not something easy to solve. So that's probably one of the reasons there's not as much transparency out there. And the reason being is people aren't 
actively going out and saying, okay, today I'm going to spend some time understanding what's going on with my data. Right. They're playing games, you know, they're surfing for things, they're going shopping, they're doing what they want to do, and they're not, this is work to go understand Right, this. right. <laughs> <laughs> so to make people aware is, is more of a challenge in this environment, but that doesn't mean that it's not doable. It just means that it's going to take us as a design community more time, more iterations um, it, to, to really get it right. And so I think as an industry, we're just really starting. And, yeah, you want to make it really easy so that people can go and once they've figured out and they feel safe, then they can go and do their shopping or they can go and do their surfing or whatever or learn the whatever they want to learn from that healthcare site. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that it's got to be quick. It's got to be easy. It's got to be understandable. And, of course, like you said, it has to be transparent have control and have value. Um, what happens, what did you find in your studies? What happens when a consumer realizes that their expectations are wrong? And universally, people don't like to be surprised. And so we don't like it when things come from left field that we're not expecting. So even if it's something that you're going to get a huge benefit for, like, oh, I didn't realize that app was collecting my location, but it just gave me 50% off my sandwich for lunch, that's good to me. I like that, but I don't like the fact that I didn't know it was happening. Mm. So the, the first thing is, is just that, that surprise of not realizing people don't like. Now, if they see a benefit, and especially an immediate benefit for themselves, and they kind of back off from that. But if they can't figure out a benefit or they actually see something that's harmful, then they get the most upset. Yeah. I mean, if somebody sent me a check in the mail and it was a real check, <laughs> that would be a nice <laughs> surprise. <laughs> All right. Um, but, you know, people are, are it's, I have to laugh about that because what actually happened was I got a, um, a letter in the mail telling me that, um, that I was owed several thousand dollars. And I thought it was, I immediately, being who I am and being that I'm an expert on identity theft, I immediately thought it was a scam, you know. And um, and I didn't call the number that was on there, but I called the number that was the real number for the insurance company that I found on the web. And lo and behold, it was real. It was somebody who couldn't find me and they were going to have to sell it to, you know, to this. They were going to have to give it to the state as unclaimed property. So it was a happy surprise. But, you know, I always tell people if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. So you always have to double check it, but uh, that was one example that it really was true. <laughs> it was it was nice, but that's the only kind of surprises we like, right? Right, and, and <laughs> but the, but then a lot of times, even when it's positive, again, several thousand dollars probably would outweigh most things. But fifty <laughs> percent off a sandwich, even though that might be positive, but, you know, it, it does depend on what you're actually getting. That that can still give you a feeling of kind of creepiness, where I didn't realize my. My, my location or my data was being collected, so even though I'm getting this value, ooh, I didn't realize that in advance, so I don't like it. Yeah, you know, it's funny. My, my son uh, works in New York City, and he's working for this company that does something that sends you um, text messages or emails that kind of hook you up with uh, one of your favorite companies and, uh, and your credit card. And I was appalled when we first started talking about it, when he was going to go work for them. He was all excited. And I said, oh, my God, that's horrible. This is how, you know, how would people get this? And then they're going to think it's spam because mom is opt in. I thought, oh, my God, thank God. But then, <laughs> then they get something like go to Abercrombie and it's $25 off if you go there within two days or something like that. So that I thought was good. But the, but the key thing that made me feel better was to hear that it was opt in. 
And so that was uh, that was a lot better. And that gets back to the issue of, yeah, it's okay if it's a surprise if you were at least informed about it that that you have this opportunity to get it. So why does the the lack of well let me go back what do customers then really care about you know we talked about the three things in terms of trust is is that the main issue they just care about trust or what do they care about well, what was interesting is we've been running a series of surveys to understand different types of data because not all things are, are equal to people and what types of personal data do they care the most about. And it was really quite fascinating because kind of what we think of as PII typically didn't turn out to be what people cared about most. Um, what they cared about most were other people. And so what we did, we surveyed over 1,600 people and we said, would you give up this information for 50% off a gallon of milk? And then we asked them for 50% off of a TV and then 50% off of a car. So very different levels there. And what we found is over half of the people would give up some information about, um, about themselves for 50% off a gallon of milk. In particular, their name or their email address or their phone number were things that they were willing to give up but less than 10% would give up their address book, which were names of, of other people. And it was similar to the same level of giving up their fingerprint or their credit score. Interesting. And then even with 50% off of a new car, less than 25% would give up their address book. And, and in the qualitative work we've done around this area, what people have told us is like, I have a right to give up my own personal information. That's my right. But I don't have any right to give up somebody else's. And and Americans in particular feel very strongly about that. Well, I think that's wonderful. I mean, that gives me hope that people are being respectful of other people's boundaries. And I can understand that. I mean, also, just think about the the ramifications of it. If if you give up somebody else's uh, address book and they find out... (laughs) <laughs> there's they're not going to be your friends anymore that's going to be really ruinous to your to your reputation as well so i mean it's 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 good that they're really um protecting the privacy of other people but i think also the ramifications would be pretty horrible if they gave it up i mean this is why it's so upsetting when when i'm sure this has happened to you ilana where somebody on a listserv will say to you, I'm so sorry, I didn't send that email. This was somebody spammed me or somebody hacked my account. And then we all got stuff from that. And we're all furious, right? Absolutely furious. So I think they understand that 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 is definitely going over boundaries by not respecting other people's boundaries to give up your address book for everybody to get spammed on something. But uh, it's fascinating. So why does the lack of action not mean that consumers don't care. People will say, like you hear this, oh, privacy's dead. People don't care. They don't put up their, uh, you know, they don't pay attention to privacy notices. Uh, they don't pay attention to um, maybe privacy settings. Does that mean that they don't care? Not at all, but that doesn't mean they won't act. Uh, we know that people aren't actively going out and trying to find privacy policies and, and, and those sorts of things. But we did run an experiment where we asked people to read a privacy policy, and, and then we asked them what they would do next. And the majority said they would uninstall that app. Mm. And then what we did is we recontacted them 30 days later and found that less than 10% had actually uninstalled or stopped using the service. 
So we dug in a little bit deeper, and what we really found is that you can't count on those actions, that the lack of trust had definitely been eroded. But people will say things like, well, I'm resigned to this. What can I do? All the other sites are going to do this anyways. It's just the way it is. So you're not seeing maybe uninstalls or lack of clicks or lack of searches or lack of behaviors. People are doing the same things. But internally, they feel bad, they feel angry, and this is where, where, where that trust that becomes eroded means your you know, future competition can really take your customers away from you. I think that's really true. I know um, some, I have friends who have a bank that they use for their business, and they really don't like the bank at all. But it, it's so much of a hassle to change, or there, there are some benefits that outweigh doing that, that I think you know, if it becomes easy to change to another bank or there's something that's really better, I think they'll they'll leave in a heartbeat. So, yeah, I think if they're getting something out of it that's making it worthwhile, however, if they're not, if they're getting nothing, if they feel really angry, then they will leave, right? So there were some people who actually did um, delete the app. Did you find that? We did, and it was more common in Canada, actually. This is a study done uh, in North America, the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, uh, so Canadians were uh, uh, statistically more likely to take action than um, Mexicans and Americans were very similar um, in, in our behaviors. Uh, but still very low percentages, actually, even after uh, realizing that uh, certain types of data were collected, actually actively went and did anything about it. That's interesting. You know, Canada has such a, a strong privacy law, and they have privacy commissioners for every state. They have an overall privacy commissioner. So that makes sense to me that Canada, that they are more aware of the privacy issues. Do you think that's it? We don't know much more. We we just know what the behavior is to date. It was significantly different, but not by much, still less than 10%. And so um, across the board, most of us aren't taking action. And, and I think it's because, you know, we don't have other options. Uh, we don't think that it's going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and also some of the things we find that we don't care so much about. So people are like, okay, I give up my location and I, and I, I have to have a couple ads, but I get to play this game. Huh, I don't care. So there's different things that people care more and less about. And that also uh, will, will cause different types of action. And I think sometimes they don't recognize or they don't think about the worst thing that could happen. And maybe they're not worried about it. If I give up my location, you know, somebody going to stalk me? Is somebody going to, you know, if I'm away from my home, are they going to burglarize my house? Um, you know, they, they're not thinking about some of those things that maybe someone else that has had some challenges happen to them that they're more privacy conscious or they're more security conscious. So I think that would make a difference, don't you? Yeah, it definitely does. I think we heard from a lot of people that said, well, I ultimately, I don't really have anything to hide. And it's my responsibility to protect myself, what I put out there, and I don't put anything out there that I don't really care about. So a lot of people don't really see a risk, and they, they also don't understand how data combination can be used, you know, to protect things in other locations. So they're seeing their information being siloed as only one entity having it. So they're not seeing how that information can be used and shared between uh, companies that, that might actually benefit them or potentially hurt them in the future. But they're just not aware of that. So right. They don't see the risk. And, and what they're doing is focusing on the benefit and not looking at the whole picture, right? That's, that's the issue. So are there current sites or apps that are really trying to trick people? 
You know, I get asked that question a lot. Are, are these big companies trying to trick the consumers? And I'm sure there's some out there who are. Um, none of our clients, and, 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 you know, we're here in Silicon Valley and the people we talk to, typically it's, it's just poor design. And, and it's, it's not that they're actively setting out to make things not transparent or not have control. It's just usually what we call assumption-based design, meaning the designer is assuming that they understand who the consumers are, what they want, what they know, and they're basically designing for themselves. And unless you really are the general public, it's very, very difficult to get a design correct without really involving the consumers in the process. Wow. That, you know, that makes so much sense to me to have these kind of studies so that you understand. Well, I'm looking, and we are really just about out of time, so why don't you just uh, give your website and how we could find out more about all the great work that you're doing. Sure, yeah. Our website is www.createwithcontext.com. And if you send an email to info at createwithcontext.com, we can put you on our mailing list so you can get future research uh, and findings as we produce them. Well, Ilana, you're doing great work, and it's absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll have you back again after your next big study. You'll give me a call, and we'll talk about it, all right? Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. You've been, li- you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. At, KU- at KUCI and also visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy where you can see our upcoming guests. You can click on their URLs and go and visit or you can download podcasts, listen to archived interviews and write us emails about what's important to you and who you think we should interview. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management or the UC Board of Regents.